growing up in LA, there's more of, I guess, a social emotional impact for my students um, because I'm able to like level them, level with them and let them know like, I was like an LA kid too. Like, I know what you're going through. Um, I know the experiences that you've had. Um, and so being able to resonate with them has been like the, I guess the most rewarding and profound thing about, you know, teaching in LA. Welcome to Learners and Teachers Los Angeles. I'm Karen Loda. In this episode, I speak with Enrico Cosinas, an eighth grade history teacher from Highland Park, working at Rice Koyang Middle School. I opened by asking Enrico to tell us more about where we are recording this conversation. We're in Arroyo Park. It's like, it's on the border of Highland Park in South Pasadena, um, where I grew up specifically. Um, so it does, it does mean a lot to be here. Yeah. And you said you grew up here uh, in Highland Park. Um, yeah. I want to ask you about middle school because you're a middle school teacher now. Um, where did you go to middle school here? And um, do you have any memories that you remember that just like jump out when I ask you about eighth grade? Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, I went to the local middle school here in Highland Park. It's called Luther Burbank Middle School. It's like a misnomer. I always say I went to Burbank Middle School and they always think it's like the city, but <laughs> I'm like, no, it's named after like a botanist named Luther Burbank. Um, eighth grade, gosh, like getting goosebumps. Um, <laughs> I just remember like really thinking about like, you know, w what am I going to hone in on in terms of like my likes and attitudes towards things? So like, you know, am I going to be like the basketball guy? Am I going to be like the athlete guy? Am I like into video games? So I think there was like a sense of like trying to develop an identity in eighth grade that was just like at the time, like stressful. Um, so teaching eighth grade is like interesting because I kind of understand where they are. Although like adults make always try to kind of not take them seriously enough. But I definitely like, I, I know how like petty it seems, but it's always, it is difficult. So you, while you were in secondary school, you were part of an organization called Gear Up. Right. Tell us a little bit about what Gear Up is and like your connection to the organization. Yeah, Gear Up, um, they are a nonprofit, and I believe they're still they're operating on a large, mar lar much larger scale than um, when I was in Gear Up as a student. So, Gear Up followed me from seventh grade all the way up to twelfth grade, and they just basically um, helped students with college readiness. And so, they gave us so much access to um, so much access the road of college that not not a lot of like lower income students in LA would have so we went on field trips to colleges we had um, a lot of help in terms of like applying to colleges and like getting our applications done our, our personal statements done um, so it was just like this pipeline that was created to help students move through like middle school high school and then all the way up until like college and then I believe now they're actually started with an alumni support where it's actually interesting some of my friends who are with me in gear up they've become like board members of um the gear up organization in terms of like alumni support because they said like cool gear up um, has helped us get to college but they're not helping us like we were like like so taken back by actually being in college and what to do after like okay we need like an alumni support system and they actually created that within like the last year um so it's pretty cool yeah 
And you went from being a student in the program to being more of like a mentor or uh, support function in the program. Yeah. Like so, how did that transition kind of happen? So Gear Up helps all students in a specific like grade level or cohort. Um, and then within the Gear Up program, there's a mentorship program where you could take what you've learned from Gear Up and help like a cohort younger than you um, through the college application process. So I remember by the time I, like, I was a senior in high school, that I was helping like sophomores and juniors make sure that they were accomplishing like their A through G's, um, getting started with like the SATs and whatnot and taking the ACTs. Um, and that was, the, that, yeah, that was the mentor, mentorship aspect. When you were doing that mentorship, were you at all starting to think about, I like this, like I like being someone who leads others through their journeys, or was that, or were you still too like kind of young to really reflect? No, on that? actually, you actually got it right. At that, that was around the time where I kind of like felt comfortable like leading a group and like mentoring them, um, and it, it wasn't something that I actually like wanted to do. I remember one of the gear up counselors. He was just like, hey, you should try this out. I think it would be really good for you. And, you know, you, you you did really well on the college application. See if you could help other people out. And I was like, well, okay, I'll do it. Um, so I did that. And I was just like pretty taken back by the, it wasn't like direct feedback, but the sense that, you know, the, the students that I was helping, even though they were like a year or two younger than me, were like, wow, like, thank you so much for that. Um, so that felt really good. So through the college application process, you ended up at UCLA, and I saw that you majored in sociology and had a minor in labor and workplace studies, and mm -hmm. I'm really curious to hear a little about your journey and how you ended up studying those two fields. Yeah, um, I think I knew that I wanted to be in the social sciences because I was always into history and like language arts, and that was like my strengths. I initially came into UCLA thinking I was gonna be pre-law, um, but then, you know, life takes its course. And again, with like that mentorship thing, I, I realized like, I think education might be like a good route for me and really fulfill what um, I want to do in life. So I knew that, you know, whatever social science, I knew that I wanted to be like in the social sciences and then I just honed in on sociology after a couple of um, general classes. And then my minor in labor and workplace studies is because I, I took a history of um, the labor movement class and the professor he was like head of the labor department at UCLA and I was just so fascinated by what we were reading and how it actually intertwined with the history of like Los Angeles um, and I really saw the history of my family in the labor movement as well and so I picked up well I didn't purposely pick it up but I was taking a lot of classes because I was like super interested um, and then I realized like later down the line, like I, if I take another class, I'd, I'd fulfill this minor. So I did it. Yeah. What so it's more of a general interest, not like anything specific. That I feel like sometimes to. those are the best minors, yeah, right? Yeah. It's like not the ones you like sought out initially. It's like, oh, I happen to take a lot of classes and yeah. it just fits with what my interests are. Um, if you don't mind me asking, what are some things that you remember particularly standing out to you in terms of the history of Los Angeles, the history of your family that you were getting from those classes or maybe from the text that you were reading? Um, yeah, I just remember my, 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 my whole family, they worked in the aerospace industry and like the manufacturing plants throughout like Los Angeles, like Los Angeles has a huge history intertwined with the aerospace industry. And so they all worked like these union jobs. And so, um, my family was greatly affected when these jobs started moving overseas. 
um, because of globalization. And I remember thinking like, in or remember learning in college, like, wow, that's, that's insane. Like how my family is like, greatly affected by these huge like waves of, of history um, that is not in their control at all. Um, and so that, that was like a, that was like eye opening. And I enjoyed like reading more literature on that. And while you were in college, you were also um, working with an organization called Project Wild. Mm -hmm. uh, could you tell us a little bit about what that organization did and uh, maybe what drew you to working with them as well? Yeah, so UCLA has this huge student service organization called the CSC, the Community Service Commission. Um, and within that, students are able to create whatever like project that they want. Um, so a couple of my friends created Project WILD, and it stands for WILD, W-I-L-D, Working for Immigrant Literacy Development. Um, and it was something that, um, at the time, I didn't know how crazy they were into it, but they were like, hey, why don't you like come volunteer for us? Um, and I was like, you know what? That really sounds like a great idea. Like, I wouldn't mind. Like, I like teaching. Um, it's for a good cause. So Project WILD went into two neighborhoods with high um, population of English language learners. So they went to a school in, I don't know, the Arlington Heights. Um, so it's kind of like West Adams-ish, Arlington Heights area, as well as in San Gabriel Valley to Rosemead. So the Arlington Heights location had a high Spanish-speaking population, and I believe the Rosemead had a high Mandarin-speaking population. And so um, they worked with the principals of two schools and they're like, yeah, cool, bring your college kids and let's help our English language learners with literacy development. So basically we just help them like with their homework and give them like supplemental um, work to do to help them out with their um, literacy skills. But I remember thinking like, now that I'm a teacher, I'm like, wow, that was a lot of that stuff that we did probably wasn't like pedagogically sound. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, the effort was there, yeah. What do you remember about as you were getting ready to graduate from UCLA, thinking about the job search and thinking about teaching or being in the classroom in some way, um, how were you thinking about how to even approach what kind of role you would look into or um, what kind of school you might work at? Yeah, Project Wild actually really did a lot for me in terms of like really shaping what I wanted to do. I think after serving my time with Project Wild, I, that's when I really honed in on like, I think I really want to go into teaching. And I purposely want to work in a school that was very similar to mine. Um, and so, yeah, like right after college, I, I really didn't have that, you know, time period where people are like, what should I do? Should I get like a bridge job? I immediately went into applying for schools to be like a teacher assistant just so I could have something there. And then um, I went straight into a teacher prep program. Yeah, like right off the bat. And you were working at that time at Gabriella Charter Schools um, as a special educational instructional aide. Yeah. Um, what was that experience like? And do you feel like being a special educational instructional aide or a SPED aide led you to like more embrace the journey of teaching? Or were there times where maybe it helped you question the journey of teaching too? Um, I'd say it's a mixture of both. I think generally when I look back at my time, at Gabriella and like being an instructional aide for the uh, special ed department, like probably one of the best things that could have happened to me um, in my career. 
like I'm so thankful that was like one of the first experiences I had in education because as a general education teacher right now I think because of my background in special ed I kind of like anchor my students with special needs and so you know I, I really take a lot of time with like my accommodations and scaffolds for them just because I have that background um, and how I could like break things down for like the whole student population um, with that you know universal design in mind um, and then yeah if anyone knows about like the special education world there's a lot of like paper pushing and a lot of bureaucracy and you can get into some heated conflicts with parents so at an early time in my career that I saw that like firsthand like right off the bat as well and so I think by the time I was a full gen ed teacher on my own I kind of already knew like what to do in the ins and outs of like operating that whole world and you know even like the quote-unquote like paper paper pushing side of it all you probably have a lot of acronyms that are like burned into your brain forever yeah, at yeah. this point yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Alphabet soup all the time. <laughs> uh, so you started teaching full time at um, Rice Koyang Middle School, which is in Koreatown. And right. uh, before we came on to the podcast, you mentioned to me it's adjacent to some other neighborhoods. Could you tell us a little bit about like the school and the population it serves? Yeah, the school is on the border. So it's in Koreatown and it's on the border. Uh, it borders the Pico Union and Westlake areas. Um, so I have a really diverse set of students. I'd say like maybe like 60 to 75 percent, 60 to 70% are from Central America. Um, many of them first generation, many of them newcomers. Um, and then I would say the other remaining would be a large percentage of like Korean students mixed in with different Asian ethnicities as well. And why were you drawn to working at this school coming out of your teacher prep program? So funny. It's like a lot of these things just fall on my lap. Like the, the, the position at Gabrielle Charter actually fell on my lap too. Um, but it always ends up being like super good. Um, so I was actually placed there for student teaching. I remember when I was a time at as, as an instructional aide, we were trying to work um, like a back channel to see how we could like do my student teaching at like Gabriella and I ended up not working out and so I was placed at a school that was partnered with um, LMU um, and they just put me in yeah, at that school and then I it was like instant magnetism like I was drawn to the students um, the staff there um, and so when it came for my time to leave student teaching the principal kind of I so I did my student teaching the fall semester and so it would have left me with a full semester of like really not applying to jobs and she was like just stay on like mm -hmm. we'll find something for you so I was in there and I had multiple roles like I helped out the counselors I was a substitute teacher and then actually our our the sixth grade ELA teacher she actually moved up to become an assistant principal um, and so the last quarter, she decided to take that role full time and then she left me that ELA class so that I was already like in it. And then I like formally applied to well, like a great coincidence of things. Um, a history position opened up because the eighth grade teacher said he was going to leave and he was like, you should just apply for this like right away. And I did. Um, it was actually a tough um, application process. Because I thought I was like a shoe in like honestly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, sure. Um, but yeah, I, I, I went through the ringer and then thankfully I like I got the job um, and I've been there ever, si ever since. Yeah. 
And what drew you to learning about history? I mean, you started to mention in college the kinds of classes you were drawn to. Why did you think you wanted to teach history? Because that is a little bit different than learning history. Yeah, um, I knew that I either wanted to be an English teacher or a history or like a social studies teacher. But I think social studies, for me, um, especially like in high school, like the social studies classes were like um, the classes where I learned the most. Like we brought in so much, not to say that other classes don't, but we brought in so much like relevant um, experiences and information um, into a social studies class. And so that's where I wanted to replicate um, when I became a teacher. So I think social studies is like, like the best, I guess the best subject for me. Mm-hmm. And it's like worked out pretty well. Have you found your practice changing in the last couple of years, both because of obviously you're getting more years of experience, but also just the nature of teaching history in America the last couple of years has sort of evolved in terms yeah. of the focus on it, the attention, the media right. gives to it. And um, have you found yourself adapting in any way how you teach yeah. it as a result? Um, I think a lot of um, teachers that begin teaching history, they think about like all of the standards that they have to like teach and like getting through an entire year's worth of curriculum. How do I like fit in all of these topics? And I definitely fell into that. Like how do I get all my kids to like basically understand all this information for a given time period? I've really shifted my practice to be a lot more skills based. So I, I, I actually use DBQs, document based questions in an eighth grade history class. and. The first time I ever wrote a DBQ was like in like 11th grade in high school. And so I was like, let's do this like in eighth grade. Um, the other teachers at my middle school have been also developed too. So we have students like starting in sixth grade. And so we anchor like these skills and historical thinking skills rather than like covering a specific time period. We just go into historical thinking. Like are students able to contextualize? Are they able to like compare and contrast two different events? Um, periodization, um, a lot of these like skills that I feel like maybe sometimes we ignore or overlook because we're so focused on, you know, names, dates, places, covering content. Um, so we, I definitely try to do more depth over breadth as like I continue on as my role as a history teacher. So you still live in Highland Park and now you teach in Koreatown and I wonder how either your identity or maybe the identity of your students, you mentioned such a diverse population, um, maybe come into your classroom uh, in in some ways. Are there ways in which you think that your identity or their identities play into the teaching of the social sciences? Um, Yeah, actually, um, I mean, just for the most part, like a lot of students are generally unaware of like the history of like Los Angeles and the, the neighborhoods. Um, and so I can bring in my own like personal narratives into it and what it was like growing up in LA and a lot of students are taken back like oh like you grew up here like and they kind of like kind of do this double take like oh actually maybe he gets us maybe he doesn't Um, so it does add like another dimension to like teaching actual history Um, but I think for me like growing up in LA there's more of I guess a social emotional impact for my students um, because I'm able to like level them level with them and let them know like I was like an LA kid too like I know what you're going through um, I know the experiences that you've had um, 
And so being able to resonate with them has been like the, I guess the most rewarding and profound thing about, you know, teaching in LA. What have you noticed changing um, sort of beyond the school boundaries in either Koreatown or in Highland Park as you've seen it over the last couple of decades? Like, what are some of the biggest changes that you notice personally um, and that maybe you think your students might experience also as they're going forward um, beyond their current years? Um, huh, that's a tough question. Or if I could put it another way, like, what are some things that, like, when you come to your, you know, parts of the neighborhood that you live in mm-hmm. um, now and like you think about what it was like when you were in middle school or high school like what are some ways that you see the changes um, and think about like how it reflects some of the things you were mentioning like the history of Los Angeles and thinking about like how the city's evolving yeah um, I guess we I do yeah I actually have found myself talking about issues of like displacement and like gentrification that was never taught to me or like ta- like talked about at all when I was like in middle school and in high school. And I remember having specific conversations with students, not because like I had a whole lesson about it, but because of them just wondering um, about, you know, like why, why are like people moving? Why is this business coming in? Why did that business like lose? Like, why are they closed up? Um, so I've had general conversations with students anecdotally with about like gentrification and like displacement and I know that you know I, I haven't really been back to my schools here but um, I'm sure that there's a lot more dialogue in terms of like gentrification um, just because it's just so evident now in this neighborhood and I kind of see Koreatown getting there um, but I guess gentrifying in a different way almost um, but yeah not an expert on it but I wouldn't I, it's hard to describe. Yeah. I understand that. Uh, so you live and work in the city that you grew up in, which is, especially in a city like LA, can be pretty unique. Uh, yeah. And not everyone has that experience. And you're a teacher, which means in part your job is to sort of like share some of your experiences as maybe part of that teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were thinking, if let's say you were talking to someone who's in college or whether they're in LA or not, and they're thinking about living in LA and also teaching in LA, what are some things you would ask them to consider about like why they should do it? Like what might draw them to being a teacher and living and working in Los Angeles? Yeah, I think Los Angeles has always been such a beautifully diverse city. And I think that's like the biggest strength of ours. Um, and we've welcomed so many people. So I think if anyone is, you know, a college student thinking about living and working in LA, like do it. But also I think for the families living here and also for the students, like, make sure you come in and you understand them and like you really, really get to know them, not just them on a personal level, but like the histories that might have, you know, um, affected them. Um, I remember actually, I was like, that you brought this up, like um, at my time with Gabriella Charter, one of the best things that we did there is we did this like amazing race, like, relay where we got to understand like Echo Park as a community and even though Echo Park was like super close to me and I knew of it growing up I that was like such an eye-opening experience for me even as like a native of like LA and so after we did that like fun activity like on and it wasn't like a school official thing we just like all decided to do it as like a staff um, I I learned so much about that neighborhood and I feel like literally maybe the next day there was like a new understanding of like the community and like the students 
um, and I felt like so much more connected to them. Your students are lucky to have you as a teacher, Enrico. I appreciate you spending some time talking to me today. Thank you so much.